Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah! Hello everyone and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. This show is our weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Trisha Cook. For those of you who don't know about GAG, we're an inclusive direct action group of LGBTQ people and their allies committed to nonviolently breaking the gun industry's chain of death. That means investors, manufacturers, the NRA, and politicians who block safer gun laws. This week's show is the first of a two-part series focusing on the continuum of violence from handguns to nuclear weapons and the gendered issues of those who perpetuate the violence. Last year, Paul Rowley and I spoke with a panel of women from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons about the issues of gendered violence, divestment from nuclear arms, proposed legislation, and more. This week's show features Ray Atchison talking about weapons and gender. We'll also hear from Kathleen Sullivan about the resolution now before the City Council that would support the 2017 Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. But up first, Sarah Lilly will take a few minutes to acknowledge someone who has lost their life to gun violence with our In Memoriam. Jared James Sykes of Dardanelle, Arkansas, born July 31, 2000, died in a tragic hunting incident on January 17, 2021. His obituary on the Cornwell Funeral Home website says, Jared brought light and mischief into the world from the day he was born until the moment we lost him. If you knew Jared, you probably have a story to share. He could make you laugh until you cried. He was smart, handsome, kind, loving, caring, ornery, mischievous, and just downright likable. He was known for his laid back, it'll be all right attitude. He was loved immensely and mothered by many in addition to his own mom, but he took it all in stride, often ignoring the extra input with a grin and a nod. Jared would do anything needed for family and friends, from moving furniture to having a caring, listening ear. Family and friends were important to him, and he lived that out. He was a student at Arkansas Tech University and a member of the Arkansas National Guard. He was an employee of First Bank and former employee of Burris Inc. Furniture and Office Products. He was a member of First Baptist Russellville and attended New Life Church Russellville. On his Facebook page about a year ago, Jared posted an idea that he had for a movie theater restaurant in Dardanelle. Over a hundred people liked his idea on Facebook. Jared, we remember you. Another life lost too soon. Thank you, Sarah. Last year, Paul Rowley and I spent some time with members of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, known as ICANN. We discussed loads of issues with them. New legislation, divestment, how gender comes into play when thinking about and using weapons, 
and connections between the GVP movement and the nuclear disarmament movement. Today we'll hear from Ray Atchison, who talks with us about weapons and gender. My name is Ray Atchison, and I am the director of the disarmament program at the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Um, and it was founded by women who came together during World War I uh, to protest the killing and to devise a plan to, to end war. Um, I uh, work in several activist coalitions on different weapon systems from autonomous weapons and drones and small arms and the arms trade. Um, and nuclear weapons, of course, is a big focus of our work. And so I represent Wilt um, on the steering committee of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, which won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. Great. Important work. Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, the, the reason that we think this is just such a, a, an interesting topic for the show is because there are so many similarities uh, between the work that you folks are doing against nuclear arms and the work that we're doing in Gays Against Guns and other people in the gun violence prevention movement are doing. So um, Ray, let's start with you. So what similarities do you see between the work that you've been doing um, and that of the gun violence prevention movement? Whenever I start talking about um you know, the, these ideas around masculinity and patriarchy and the relationship to weapons, I like to clarify at the beginning that um, when we're talking about gender and gender norms and ideas, we're not talking about um, biological sex. Um, you know, we're not talking about the binary of being a man or being a woman, but we're talking about um, how society expects us to act this idea of what it is to be a real man and how society has expectations on us for for masculinities um, really is the same when we're talking about nuclear weapons or whether we're talking about guns. It's this idea that weapons uh, provide power and weapons enable people to protect and to um, take care of. And so this, this idea that weapons are for security um, and for safety, uh, even though they make us all less safe, regardless of who we are, or what body we are in. Absolutely. And this in itself instills a hierarchy of worth and value and capacity amongst humans, right? It's usually this notion that part of being a man is that you have to protect your family, protect your women, protect whomever it is that you're in charge of. But it also means then that you have power over those people. They are less than you in some way because you are delegated the person to, to look out for them. This idea that you need weapons in order to do that. And we can also look at how this is, in a militarized sense, really instilled in the education of soldiers, for example. In this, this building of the hierarchy, there's this language and um, framing of human beings that really denigrates women, denigrates queer people in the training of soldiers, whether it's through calling them names or just the culture of, of of violence that is instilled in that process of building up soldiers. So that's one example of that. But I also like to mention that this, this concept of militarized masculinity or this violent masculinity, this expectation that men will be violent, will take up arms um, in order to protect, really also makes men more vulnerable. 
because it, it develops this assumption that uh, in a, any given context, the men will be militants. We can see it in, um, say, drone strike targeting in the way that the U.S. government has been revealed to target men of a military age solely on the basis of them being men, that they're viable targets uh, in a drone strike. Or we've seen where mass atrocities have been um, committed during conflict where men are rounded up and shot to prevent them from joining a military campaign. So there's also this increased vulnerability on men. So in my opinion and in thinking about this, it seems that this violent masculinity where weapons are about protection and power really undermines everyone's safety and everyone's protection. So listeners to to this show are going to be very familiar with, say, the NRA arguments around guns, that guns are are necessary for security, right? And if you you give them up, you're being weak. Um, If you you give them up, you're you're losing ground. And there's so much concern with, uh, with the government coming to take your weapons. And there's the same narrative really around nuclear weapons that they're they're necessary weapons they're described as necessary evils that they've prevented conflict in the world they prevent us from being attacked um, by other countries and um, they've preserved some sort of peace and stability in the world's order and it's in this framing that people come to believe that more weapons are the answers to threats and so in the nra language you have uh guns are good in the right hand yeah. You need the good guy with the gun to um, oppose the bad guy with the gun. And again, it's the exact same narrative on nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons in the right hands are necessary, and we have to prevent uh, the bad guys from getting them. But in the meantime, we have to hold on to ours because it's the only safety and security that we have in the world. But of course, a critical examination of that makes us ask, who are the good guys? Who gets to decide who's the good guys and the bad guys? Because everyone with these weapons is capable of massive violence. But people who raise this uh, analysis, we're, we're ridiculed. And we're often ridiculed in very gendered ways. We're told that we're weak. We're told that we're irrational. We're told that we don't understand uh, how security works or how the world works. We're really naive. So much of this is said in gendered language um, that ultimately what what people are saying when they say all this is that we're effeminate. We're not up to the task of that violent masculinity of that real man. And so I think one of the things that needs to be taken into account is, is who we're including in our conversations. Who gets to be credible when we're talking about guns or talking about nuclear weapons or talking about any kind of weapon? So we need more people. We need a lot more diversity involved in these conversations about security and weapons. Yeah, I feel like what's happening here um, with guns and um, and also with this power thing, fear is really, I think, what's driving so much of it, it seems, you know, that we don't really hear so much from the victims of this violence. You know, we hear from the defenders of the rights rather than the people who are impacted at the most. So, like, I really think this this idea that, you know, what you're saying about diversifying the discussion is really key to a strategy, right? Yes, absolutely. In ICANN's work to develop the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, we really tried to center the voices of survivors of 
the U.S. atomic bombings of Japan, um, but also survivors of nuclear weapon testing. So um, indigenous Australians, um, folks from the Marshall Islands and other places in the Pacific where testing occurred, as opposed to censoring the voices of say, the elite from Washington, D.C. or Moscow, you know, people operating in the corridors of power who have sort of a chokehold on what is considered to be credible discourse on nuclear weapons. Um, so we really tried to, to turn that narrative and that framing back over to people who have direct experience um, and, and look at these weapons for what they actually do to people in the environment. Look at the humanitarian and environmental consequences of these weapons instead of allowing this discourse around security and deterrence and necessity that has been dictated to us for so long by a select group of people within corridors of power. Yeah, absolutely. The recognizing that consensus building is the only way to bring about real change um, in the gun control movement, as in nuclear weaponry, what advice can you give us? Um, what's helped you? What hasn't helped in reaching people and implementing change? Well, I think that the process of consensus building is very important. But I also think we need to think carefully about when and how we're doing that. Um, I think change is not necessarily made by having everyone on the same page at the same time. If we look at history and how change has been made, Changes often come not from those who have the offending behavior, if you will. If we look at the abolition of slavery, the movement to and the change to abolish slavery didn't come from slave owners. If we look at women's right to vote, it wasn't granted by men who held all the political power. It came from the social movements of women who were campaigning for that. If we look at shifts in LGBT rights and cultural shifts, around identities and sexualities those didn't come from the people that held the powers it came from outside and it wasn't a process of getting those people or every single person to agree to something it's more about shifting uh, a majority getting a majority tidal wave forming that can create the change and of course with all of these things it's not like by abolishing slavery we don't have racism it's not like by having gay marriage in this country we don't have discrimination against the lgbt community obviously all of these things still exist obviously there's pushback for every piece of ground that we make uh in social movement history but we do make these these shifts and it's it comes from relentless activism the lesson from negotiating the treaty on the prohibition for nuclear weapons for example we we worked for 70 years to try and get nuclear armed states to eliminate their nuclear weapons. That was our main focus, is, is demanding that they uh, get rid of their nuclear weapons. And that is still the demand. But what we did with this treaty um, to help make this shift is we worked with the non-nuclear armed states, the countries that have rejected the idea that nuclear weapons provide any kind of security. And as activist coalition, we worked with those governments to bring about a change in narrative towards the humanitarian consequences, the environmental consequences, and away from this, this security deterrence discourse. And we worked with, with those countries to embolden them to feel that they had a credible stake in this issue and that they could actually do something. They could help create new international law on nuclear weapons 
that helped stigmatize these weapons, prohibited these weapons under international law, and that helped change the framing in the general perception of, of what nuclear weapons are. Um, and so I think that that is a very important lesson for, for the gun control debates. You know, as things stand right now, there is a lot of money and a lot of power on the side of those who want to uh, hold on to guns and um, continue to see this country armed to the teeth. And I feel that there is momentum right now that is critically shifting what is normal, what is considered acceptable behavior. And we're, we're in the midst of that shift right now, and it's a very exciting time to be in. And I think that that is where the energy needs to go. It's not necessarily on convincing everyone in the NRA that this approach is right, but it's shifting what is normative and the majority opinion on this issue. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. It's like, so you're talking about empowering individual voices through which we empower communities these communities lead to coalitions and then you get to the point where you folks have reached where you're doing this on a national level which is you know really the international level international level yeah yeah wonderful a big thank you to roy Aitchison for taking the time to speak with us you can hear the second part of our conversation about guns and nuclear weapons later this month you're listening to radio gag the gays against gun show here on listener-sponsored commercial free radio wbai 99.5 We are here every Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. bringing you the latest from the gun violence prevention movement. Gays Against Guns is urging our listeners to keep free speech radio alive by sending a tax-deductible donation to WBAI 99.5 FM. You can also become a Radio Gag BAI buddy by visiting WBAI.org. Next up, I spoke with Kathleen Sullivan this weekend about her work with NICAN, the New York City-based partner of ICANN and the legislation they're trying to get passed by the city council. I'm here today talking with Kathleen Sullivan about legislation that NICAN has been working on and what the future looks like for it. So Kathleen, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your affiliation with NICAN and talk about the legislation. Thank you so much, Trisha. I really appreciate the um, opportunity to speak to this. So I work with NICAN, the New York Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and we are a group of affiliated groups um, that are work with the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. We're all based here in New York City. We've been working on a campaign with Danny Drom, council member from Jackson Heights, Queens. And uh, this legislation work started in um, around 2018. And from that, we have two very, very progressive pieces of uh, disarmament legislation, Resolution 976 and Intro Bill 1621. A lot of people don't realize that nuclear weapons actually started in New York City. They did not call it the Manhattan Project for nothing. Um, One thing that few people will realize is that New York City is invested in around $500 million worth of money in our pension funds, which is a fraction of the New York City pension. Um, That's about 0.025% of the pension funds um, are invested in companies that produce nuclear weapons. So we would like for that to be divested from New York City pension funds. That's part of Resolution 976. So that's a very direct way that New York City is still connected to nuclear weapons. Um, Also, 
what few people will recognize is that around two-thirds of the uranium that was used in the top-secret Manhattan Project was stored um, in and around uh, the five boroughs. So we still have uh, some places that may need environmental remediation. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking to you from uh, Chelsea, where um, as as late as the early 90s, um, there was still residual uranium that was needed to be cleaned up in the Baker and Williams warehouses. Um, and, and, and those warehouses remained in use for over 40 years, even though their radiation levels were 38 times the uh, federally allowed levels. The mm -hmm. intro bill 1621 establishes a nuclear weapon free zone advisory committee, which could advise city council on such projects as the environmental remediation that may need to be done for these legacy sites. Right, right. And can you talk about where this legislation stands right now? Um, so we had a very successful um, council hearing in January of 2020, but our campaign really laid off um, doing any work when the pandemic was so up in front of everybody, <laughs> particularly our champion on this, Danny Drum, whose uh, constituents include Elmhurst, which was at one point the hardest hit place in the entire country. But once city council started to uh, go back to sort of regular business, we then started pushing again, because we really feel that this legislation is part and parcel to why spend on militarism when we aren't spending on health care. We want um, the city of New York to be a model for redirecting funds towards human needs. Mm -hmm. So we have a super majority, and um, that means that as, as soon as we get this legislation to the floor for a vote, um, it should pass without incidents. And as far as we know right now, um, the only reason that this has not been brought to the floor for a vote is, unfortunately, it's not been um, on a high priority list for Council Speaker uh, Corey Johnson. Um, but we're continuing to work very hard and uh, continuing on our campaign to educate the public. Mm -hmm. So, Kathleen, can you speak to what our listeners might be able to do? Should people be making phone calls? Should they be sending emails? Well, the best thing to do is to call your council member um, and ask them to ask for the council speaker, Corey Johnson, to bring Resolution 976 and Intro Bill 1621 to the floor for a vote. And we have created a toolkit for the legislation that you can find on the Rise and Resist website under the action Bye. section of the uh -huh. website. Um, and you can also find it on the Hibakusha Stories website, H-I-B-A-K-U-S-H-A Stories, um, hibakushastories.org, right at the front of our website. That's all such great work, Kathleen. Thank you so much for your work on this legislation and with NICAN. And thanks for speaking with us today. Well, and I'd like to say um, thanks to Rise and Resist and Gays Against Guns and the crossover that we've had um, through this legislation has been really exceptional. And so I just give a shout out to the activist community here in New York City. So thank you, Tricia.
Days Against Guns wants to thank WBAI for helping us reduce gun violence through our show, Radio Gag. WBAI has been supporting free speech and progressive issues for more than 60 years. Whether it's racial justice, gay rights, women's rights, climate justice, international or immigration rights, WBAI has been breaking new ground in reporting. Without your financial support, we would lose this legacy. You can do your part to take action by giving a donation to WBAI today. Go to give2wbai.org or call 516-620-6302. That's give, the number two, wbai.org. Thank you. To find out more about becoming a member of GAG, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram and GAG No Guns on Twitter. For more information about how to attend member meetings, check us out on our social media platforms. Our next meeting is Thursday, March 4th at 7 o'clock. That's this Thursday. We leave you with our fabulous singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. God help America. What have you done? Stand beside us and guide us through the mess and distress you've begun. With your bigots and your gun nuts, every greedy billionaire. God help America through this Every green.